Today we're challenged by Jesus to uh, follow these great commandments, to, to love God first and to love our neighbor. And one of the ways we show love to our, our God is to show love to our neighbor, right? So they kind of, they relate to one another. Um, one of the summers that I was in the seminary, I lived over in Naples, uh, Italy, which is a smaller town, kind of on the knee, if you, if you have the, the boot of Italy, so south of Rome. It's a port city. It's kind of a seedy place. Uh, in many ways, it's the mafia kind of run the town in many ways, so it's, it's not a very clean city, but there are beautiful parts of it, so it, you know, it's not a bad place to live. I lived with the Missionaries of Charity, which is um, Mother Teresa's sisters, and we were serving in this kind of poverty place, you know, down, downtown. So that's where I was living. Um, and they have a lot of volunteers that can help with them. And so I got to know a family a little bit. And they said, hey, come on over for dinner. And, and my broken Italian said, sure, yeah, that sounds great. So um, one of the things, though, is that sisters lock the door at 8 o'clock. So I was like, is it, how am I going to get back in? Oh, they'll let you in. No problem. Okay. Sounds good. So went over to the house, had dinner, was good. Again, broken Italian. I'm just trying to catch as much as I can. Um, so we finished dinner, had a good time, and then um, I started going back to the sisters, the, their place. It's a big old seminary, so there's a big door, and they lock the door for good reason. Uh, lots of strange things happen in Naples at night. So anyway, um, I got to the door, and it was locked, and rang the bell, no answer. Great, what are we going to do now? So. Uh, the sisters told me to give me their, my passport and money and all that stuff so they could lock it because they have men who live with them who are you know, foreigners or, or just poor so they didn't want anything to get taken because sometimes that's been a problem. So there I was on the street, no money, no identification of any kind and hmm, this is really exciting. What are we going to do now? So I started uh, going back to the family and thinking maybe they'll let me in. Uh, so I was walking and, you know, every time I walk by a little corner, I'm like, well, maybe I could sleep there if I really had to. That wouldn't be a great thing, but it could work. So um, anyway, I, I got back to the family and thankfully they opened the, the door and let me in and I was able to stay with them that night. But there was about a half hour there of walking where I was just thinking, this is not good. Here I am. And I am the alien. I am the... Uh, the poor one here and so I had a need and thankfully this family took me in so haven't had too many moments in like like that in my life where I've just been like I am totally dependent here on mercy on whatever someone wants to offer me and it's not a very comfortable thing to experience that um, not a very uh, yeah just it's it's kind of a, a, a pretty challenging thing I only had to deal with it for half an hour in my whole life really so uh, People that live that way, that live on the streets or just live on charity from others, I can imagine how traumatizing that is. And so for me, um, that kind of shaped not just that one moment, but working with the poor helped shape my, my uh, experience of how to, how to be reaching out to them. And so it, from then on, it was something I tried to do, but I'll, I'll tell you, it's very difficult. So. After that summer, I moved back to Rome, and in Rome, there's a lot of poverty. There's there's um, the gypsies, and there's other people that just live on the streets, and there's a lot of tourism, so they can kind of make ends meet by living on the streets, and they do. 
um, but there's also a lot of corruption and stuff that goes on with it. So it's a really challenging environment to try to figure out what is the best thing to do. Um, and, you know, you get kind of burned at times, a lot of times. So try to help somebody and you think you're making a big difference in their life and then it turns out that you're not. And so it can be this ongoing experience of like, I really want to help these people, but it doesn't seem like I can help them. They don't, they don't change their ways or their need is so great to change their life requires much more than I can give. So it's a hard thing. Um, I know I've used this example before, but you can think of the, um, the story of Les Miserables or the Miserables in, in, in English. And there's that scene in the movie, in the book it's a little different, but in the same, same kind of scene where this guy who's a convict takes refuge with the bishop um, in his house and during the middle of the night, he steals all his silver and everything, candlesticks and so forth, and kind of knocks the bishop out because he finds him in the middle of the night. And when he's brought back, when the police eventually find him and bring him back and say, hey, you've stolen this thing, the bishop says, oh no, I, I gave that to him. And there's a, there's a change that happens in his heart that moment. So the character, Jean Valjean, he he changes in that moment. There's something that happens in that moment where he's converted um, and he goes from being a, a man who is kind of hardened to a man who seeks to have charity for others. And so, I, I, you know, as I was thinking about the readings this weekend, I'm thinking, how do we, how do we make that happen in someone? Because we have a lot of people out there who have great needs and it seems like the system is broken, right? The, the way we take care of the poor is so much pro programmatic. So it's, uh, we, ha we pay money to, to this government organization or this larger organization to, to do the work, right? And so they're sort of separated from us. We don't really see the poor. We don't deal with the poor. And so for us, it's easy to just, um, there's that old saying, feed, a, uh, give the man a fish or teach him how to fish. And it's a lot harder to teach a man how to fish. It takes a long time. You gotta take him out in the boat and give him all the stuff and go out there. And in the moment, it's just like, here's a fish. I don't wanna deal with all that, right? So we kinda of do that again and again. But what happens if we just keep giving the fish? Nothing ever changes. They never get better. So, you know, you gotta do both. It's not an either or, it's a both end. But um, programs don't change how people experience poverty or experience need in their life. Uh, it's when we love them. When we love people, when we help them to experience God's love and our love, and when they feel loved, that's what changes them. Just like in that story with, with um, the bishop and Jean Valjean. Now in my own experience, <laughs> I've struggled with that, right? Because I've tried to love, but I think I'm not very good at it because most of the time when I've tried to help someone, a lot of times it's kind of like, this feels like an imposition, it feels like an inconvenience, it feels like uh, a request. Every request for help is sort of like, I don't have time for this, I don't want to do this, are you cheating me? You know, all these questions that arise. And so it's like my heart needs to be converted and changed. Just like that convict's heart needs to change, my heart needs to change. And so it's a, it's a process, right, of trying to figure out how do I surrender to what God wants for me. 
So there's a couple, there's, there's seven actually principles that the church offers us when it comes to trying to do social work that's helpful versus harmful. And I'm just going to run through these real quick. So the first one is respect of the human person. If we don't respect the person, then nothing we do is going to help them change or overcome that. So we need to respect them. Uh, promotion of the family. If we, if we don't promote the protection and the up, up building of the family in our work, again, it's not going to bear fruit. Individuals' right to own property. So communism is out, right? We need to, we need to have private property is a good thing. It's a good thing for people to own because when they own it, then they have uh, investment in it. Um, the common good. So we want to, again, balancing all the, how do we keep the common good? Subsidiarity, which just means do it on the local level, right? Don't send it up the ladder and say, government's going to take care of it. Somebody else is going to take care of it. I'll give money to somebody else. Now, there are times we have to do that, but if you can, do it on the local level because that's the most uh, practical, most um, helpful for them and for us. The dignity of the work worker. So the working is gives us dignity. When we strip people from working, or we strip them from owning property, or we strip them from having dignity, uh, we're not helping them. So we need to ensure their dignity and help them to be part of the solution, not just give them a fish, right? Teach them how to fish. And then the pursuit of peace and care for the poor is the last one. So that one's kind of self-explanatory. We obviously want to promote peace. I'm going to share one quote from John Bosco. So John Bosco uh, lived in Italy. Again, he served the poor, especially young men, young boys who were homeless or on the streets or just not really taken care of by their parents. And he worked with them and tried to help them. And his words from the Office of Readings when it's his feast day uh, have always struck me because he doesn't point at them as the problem. He always points at himself. So just listen to these words from John Bosco. So he's talking to the Salesians, which is his religious brothers that were working together in this work. My sons, in my long experience, very often I had to be convinced of this great truth. It is easier to become angry than to restrain my oneself and to threaten a boy than to persuade him. Yes, indeed, it is more fitting to be persistent in punishing our own impatience and pride than to correct the boys. We must be firm but kind and be patient with them. This was the method that Jesus used with the apostles. He put up with their ignorance and roughness and even their infidelity. He trusted sinners with a kindness and affection that caused some to be shocked, others to be scandalized, and still others to hope for God's mercy. And so he bade us be gentle and humble of heart. There must be no hostility in our minds, no contempt in our eyes, no insult in our lips. We must see mercy we must use mercy for the present and have hope for the future, as is fitting for true fathers who are eager for real correction and improvement. So those are some of his words. So this is hard, right? Um, so often it's easy to say, you're the problem. You're the one that got yourself in this situation. But I go back to that moment where I was like, here I am on the street, I got nothing. What am I gonna do? I'm totally dependent. And how do, how do I want to be treated in that moment? Uh, when I'm treated with mercy, gosh, that, that feels great. I'm, I'm so happy. Uh, but what if they had just said, no, no, we, we fed you already. What, what else do you want? You know, go away. Wow, that would be pretty, uh, pretty detrimental. So 
how do we put ourselves in that other person's shoes to be able to kind of have mercy on them and keep having patience? It's, I know it's really hard, but the Lord calls us to have that conversion of heart and not to get angry at them, but to look at our own heart and see where's my heart need to change. So that's the word for today. Let's try to be um, men and women who serve others, who, who love others, and don't just see others as a problem, but try to see where is God asking me to, to love them and care for them.